All right. Well, I'm glad to be here this morning, and to be honest with you, this is a rare privilege for me. I seldom get to speak in the younger generation church, or the younger pastor's pastor, uh, very rarely, and so it's a real treat to me. There's kind of a, you don't know it, but there's kind of an unwritten policy among the young pastors, and that is don't trust anybody in your pulpit that still combs their hair. And uh, I would, when that the new movement came along, where you you know kind of whatever you did, uh, it's too old to change, so I just left it. But my son was coming along a few years ago when it became popular to I don't know what they did, but fix your hair so it didn't look like you fixed your hair. And uh, so he was he was working for a Fortune 500 company at the time and in a business arrangement, and he said oh, I need to be current, and so he decided to get into the movement. So he went down to the store and bought all the stuff you buy to do it with, you know, and cut this and cut that. I don't know what all he did. But anyway, he finally got it one morning, took him about a half hour to where it was sticking up, where it was supposed to be sticking up, you know, and all this kind of stuff a few years ago. Changing a little bit now. But uh, anyway, he got it all fixed and got ready to go to the office. And his wife said, would you mind dropping off the laundry on your way to the office? He said, sure. So she gave him the dry cleaning. So he went by the laundromat, pulled in the parking lot, walked in with the cleaning and gave it to the lady. And she looked up, a little Chinese lady, she looked up at him and said, ooh, bad hair day, huh? <laughs> and he just spent a half hour getting it to look just right. But uh, anyway, uh, Daryl, I do appreciate it, and I'll, I'll do my best uh, not to embarrass you this morning. I can appreciate, I can appreciate guys being scared of, of older people. Really, I can, because we, we really messed up years back. I mean, things have gone downhill for years and years, and then bring somebody in that went through all that uh, really doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, I appreciate the confidence that he had this morning. I want to, uh, I'm not going to teach the Bible this morning. I would be foolish to do that because your pastor is, and I've said this not just this morning, my wife and I have said it hundreds of times, he's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever seen in all my ministry, and I've been around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of preachers. And I'm telling you, if nothing else, go out and invite people just to hear him teach the Bible. I mean, it's valuable. It's great. And just thank God that you have someone that, that uh, studies like he does and gets the mind of God like he does and is able to give it to you in a way where you can comprehend it and understand it so uh, well. And I appreciate that, Daryl, so very, very much. So I'm not going to teach the Bible this morning. I, he can do a much better job than I. But I'm going to talk to you from from my background, which goes back further every year now, my background and some of the stuff will, that I'm going to mention to you in, in introduction, uh, you weren't even born, many of you at the time, but I want you to understand where we're coming from and then talk to you about, about my experiences and my passions and kind of pull that all together and driving toward one focal point. I'm not going to tell you up front what that is. You'll put up a barrier. But I'm driving toward one focal point that I want you to get this morning. So I hope that you'll, you'll just pray together that God will uh, use the message to bring you to the focal point that he wants in your life. Because it's his book, it's his message, it's his uh, service, it's his everything. And so we need to listen to him. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. We're just going to read these scriptures and then... And then I want you to just have them in your mind and in your heart while we bring the message this morning. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 4. 
Acts 1, verse 4. I have, I have four Bibles in my desk at home, and depending on where I preach, I have to take a certain Bible. And uh, I don't have one for Daryl's church. <laughs> he kind of fits in that groove in between there, so, but we'll get, we'll get close to it. And I think you can, you can follow along. With some churches, they ask you, you know, do you use so-and-so version? If not, you can't come here, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when, he, uh, when they had uh, come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a little bit of pollen left over or something. And know, uh, know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now turn on over to chapter 2 and verse number 40. Chapter 2, verse 40. Peter is in the middle of preaching a sermon in these verses. And verse 40 says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 people were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who had believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions, their goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. These scriptures give us probably the closest perfect example of the operation that God wants for his people at his church. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning you'll help us now. Dear God, to be a blessing to these people. Lord, they've, they've, they've heard the Bible taught so well over these years. Some of them have been here a long time. And I just pray, Lord, that we can just add something to it this morning from a practical standpoint that maybe we'll tie a lot of things together, especially the Envisioning series they've just finished. It would tie things together and make them realize what their part is in all that you're trying to do in your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to build this message on two premises. I'll give you one now, and then into the message I'll give you the second one. The first premise is this, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. If you always do what you've always done, you will get the same results you always got. Are you with me? If you always do... What you've always done, you'll get the same results that you've always got. Some of you men are businessmen here. You know that's true in your business. You continue operating your business exactly like you have been year after year after year. You're going to get the same results. But if you want greater results, you've got to change what you're doing. 
The new generation of pastors and churches that have come down the pipe, such as your pastor and others, recognized this problem. They looked around and said, you know, God's called me to be a pastor, and I, I want to lead a flock of his people. I want to do something great for God. I want to leave something behind that's going to count. But I don't want what I see out there in the typical evangelical church today. And so they came out with some new ideas. They came out with some new approaches. They came out with some, some new directions, and, I, and I'm glad that they did. We certainly needed that. But what we must be very careful about now is not repeating the same mistakes that our predecessors did, your predecessors did. I've had the privilege over the years that most of you have not had. I've had the privilege of of being very closely associated with the old generation of churches and also becoming very closely associated with the new generation of churches. Few people are able to make that, that, that jump, that span, and I thank God that he's allowed me in, in ways to do that that open my eyes to a lot of things and begin to be such a blessing. My ministry began in the 60s and 70s. In the 60s and 70s, that was the year of church growth, years of church growth. I mean, things were just exploding. Just, just to give you an idea, I was just fresh out of college, served for two or three years on church staff, in Florida and went out and planted our first church. My wife and I, my daughter Carla there and one other daughter, we, we, we jumped in, the, in a van and pulled a little U-Haul trail and off we went from Miami to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Crazy. I mean, that was crazy, but we went because God seemed to say to go. So we went and we planted our first church. I'd never planted a church before, didn't know a lot about it. They didn't really teach it too much in college. and But I... I, I knew what God wanted. So we went out and we rented a little room in a YMCA building, started church, went out visiting door to door for two weeks, got 13 people who said they'd come hear me preach. And so they came and, and nine of them came and four more of my family. We had 13 all together that Sunday. Six years later to the day on our sixth anniversary, we had right at 2,100 people in, to come to Sunday school for that anniversary. We, we didn't have the facilities for it. We actually we rented buildings around the area and packed people here and there and elsewhere. Actually got in 1,878 people into the buildings. And the door attendant said, we've turned away at least 200 people and said there's just no way to get in the buildings. Now, that's what happened in six years. And I, I didn't, if I'd known what I was doing, we could have probably really had a growth. But I, we were just fumbling through. We'd never done this before. We didn't know what was going on. But what the, you say, well, what, what really causes that to happen? The only thing I can tell you is that, that a large, large percentage of our church just really jumped in and got involved. I mean, our people, you just couldn't tie them down. I mean, they were just excited about doing something for God. And they got involved in this thing, and it just really, really went. Now, that's all the history I'm going to tell you about about that. But from 1968 to to 2008, 40 years, the church began on a downward slide. And in those 40 years, the average percentage of of people in America that go to church dropped by 50% in 40 years. So we've been going just like this for 40 years. 
it gets down to 2008. 70% of all of our churches in America have plateaued, stagnated. They're not growing at all. 70% of our churches. Now, something pretty drastic happened between 1960, 62, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 70, during the 70s. Something drastic happened that caused this slide that we're experiencing today in the traditional church. According to Barna Institute, the new generation of pastors are not focused on attendance figures, but rather building relationships with people and reaching them for Christ. Now, that was the new, one of the new approaches that came down with the new generation of pastors. And I think that's a good thing. We were focused totally on attendance. I mean, that was the whole thing we were focused on. Our church, we, they, uh, Elmer Towns and that group, they had uh, the fastest growing Sunday school in every state. For three years, they did that in a row. And every year, we won the banner. I mean, they came down, the mayor came, and everybody came and, and took a picture. We won the banner and all that kind of thing. We were focused strictly on attendance, which not a bad thing either. But if you leave the, 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 the other things, the, the nurturing people, the discipling people and all that out of it, then you've missed. Same way, if in our new culture now, our new generation, we focus more on building relationships and reaching people for Christ, which I think is much more a New Testament way of doing it. But I got news for you. If it's working, what's going to happen? Your tennis is going to grow. That's a natural byproduct. Even though you're not shooting for attendance increases, that will be the byproduct of, as Barna said, Focusing on building relationships with people to reach them for Christ. Now, overall, we're heading the right direction. In my personal observance of the decline of these churches over the years, I came up with a list of things that I've contributed it to. And I'm giving you these things not because you're a traditional church, but because we can repeat the same mistakes if we're not careful. We can look up and say, you know, they did it this way and they did it this way and all of a sudden now we're doing it that way and the results are going to be the same. That's what we need to be careful about. What happened? Well, in the 1960s and 70s, we had soul-winning churches. We had visitation programs, special days, outreach ministries, bus ministries, and all those things. I'm not saying you need all those things. I'm just saying that the mentality there of what was going on needs to be held on to. Everything that the, the local church focused on was reaching people for Jesus Christ. That was the focus. That's what we were after. That's all that mattered was just training people to win people to Jesus Christ and bring them, bring them into the church and the church grew and so forth. Now, we had a strong desire to see the, people, the church, the uh, lost come to Christ. Baptisms were up. Large percentages of church members were involved in the program. A big key right there. My wife can remember we used to have soul winning programs, and we'd have 50% of our people go out soul winning every week, win people to Christ, turning their names during the week. It was, it was that kind of adrenaline that was flowing. Years after that now, something tragic happened. And it's something very, very simple. But something tragic happened in that church movement. I'm talking about days when, when, when churches were running 1,000, 1,500, 1,800, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000, all over the area. 
Now, if you have large churches, you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah, that's a, they've got mega churches now down. Anything over a thousand, they're calling a mega church now. Well, you know, back then, you weren't a mega church unless you had 4,000. That's when you, when you were, and there was a lot of them around. But something happened. What happened? One sentence, the church turned itself inward instead of outward and started the slide. The church became a place where instead of going out and evangelizing the world, we we ate together. We ministered to each other. We had fellowship meetings, almost locked the door so unsaved people couldn't get in them. We had all these fun things that we did together. None of those things are wrong. They're all good and they're all healthy, but not at the expense of reaching the lost. There needs to be both. The older established church now after these 40 years, does little to reach the lost for Christ. The average church, and I can speak it because I was director of missions for uh, some churches in this area, and I was in every one of them, one of them every week for three years. I saw what was happening. They never baptized anybody. I bet you don't know how many baptistries I've been. I always look in the baptistry when I go to church. And I see what's in the baptistry. You know what's normally in there? Christmas decorations. It's a great place to store them for the year. Space you don't need. How sad is that? Now, this led to a lack of compassion for the lost, a lack of compassion for the needs of others outside of our church. We began to focus in. Now, remember what I said. We turned our, our sights in instead of focusing out there in the, in the fields where Jesus said, lift up your eyes for the fields are wider to harvest. We lifted up our eyes to the inside of the church because that's where we have a great time. So we looked inside. We moved to corporate prayer instead of personal prayer. And the power just seemed to go away. People quit praying on their own. We got to where we depended on, back in those days, we had Wednesday night, we call them Wednesday night prayer meetings. And we'd all come together on Wednesday night, what for? Just to pray. Well, what would happen? Two or three people would stand up at the pulpit through a microphone and pray, and everybody else would say, boy, I got my praying done this week. And the power just kind of went away. Nobody was getting saved anymore. Oh, but we had a great prayer meeting. Wasn't that a great prayer meeting? Yeah, it was a great prayer meeting. Boy, we had 80 people there in that prayer meeting. Wasn't that great? Yeah, boy, I mean, I mean, that was just wonderful. What do you mean wonderful? What prayers got answered? Well, I don't know if any prayers got answered or not, but boy, it was a great time of fellowship. Especially the donuts and all afterwards. They were really good. And that's, that's what happened to us. Now, donuts bad? No. Prayer meetings bad? No. But anything that's at the expense of doing what acts The book of Acts said to do a while ago in reaching people, being filled with the Holy Spirit, reaching your area for Christ, letting God add daily to the church such as to be saved, that becomes wrong. Are you with me so far? Whoops. I'm in trouble. Not even the pastor said yes. Are you with me? Thank you, all three of you. Okay. Then, as a result of that, there came a lack of willingness to be used of God. Now, some of this we can blame on the church atmosphere. Some we can blame on society. 
But things just got busy about that time. You know, we're talking now up into the 80s, early 90s. Things got pretty busy. You know, cell phones came out, and I don't know when email and stuff came out, but, you know, life just got a little more hectic. And, and, and all of a sudden, we, we, uh, we, there came a lack of willingness to be used of God because our schedules got so full of personal things to the point where we didn't have time to do anything outside the church. It took all the people we could conjure up just to operate the church. Now, let me say this as kindly as I can, folks, but just operating a church is a waste of time if that church isn't reaching the, king, the, the people for the kingdom of God. There's no point in it. I mean, well, you might as well go to the Elks Lodge. You might as well go, what, what's the point in it if, if, if we're not carrying out the Great Commission? Now, when we got down to that point, we then lost the idea that we had a personal responsibility to God to serve him and carry out the Great Commission. We lost it. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about us back then. We lost it. We never did. My wife and I, honestly, every church we built was a, was a, a growing, soul-winning church. But churches as a whole lost it. And that's a sad thing. And the church continued its downhill slide until today. You know what they're doing today? The same thing that they used to do that caused the slide, and they're wondering why they're not getting better results. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to get the same results you always got. And that's what's happening today. All right. That's a basis I want you to rest on. Now I'm going to give you a second one. The second premise for this message is this. The church in the Bible is not the corporate church that we have today. Don't don't jump to conclusions. I'm not saying we're not biblical churches. I'm saying the church in the Bible is not the corporate church that we have today. You say, well, I don't understand. Well, we refer today to the church. We have the Baptists. We have the Methodists. We have the Pentecostals. We have the Presbyterians. We have the everything else. We've got the churches. And we've established them as, a, as, an, as an entity where in the Bible, and Daryl, if I'm wrong on this, you can correct it next week, okay? But in the Bible, the word church is the word ecclesia. The word ecclesia means assembly. Particularly a called out assembly. It's an assembly of people that have been called by God, saved them, and they now assemble together. You say, well, hold it, hold it, time out. What difference does that make? Whether we call it assembly or the church. I'll tell you what the difference is, and follow me now on this. It, it, it changes the position of responsibility. All right? It changes the position of responsibility. When Paul wrote 13 epistles to the churches, he would begin his epistles to the church at Corinth or to the church at Ephesus. What was Paul actually saying there? He was saying, 
to the assembly of Christians that are assigned to Ephesus. To the assembly, the gathering of Christians. It wasn't the church as an entity. Paul wasn't writing a letter to the church. He was writing a letter to the people in the church. The assembly of the people in the church. The letter wasn't supposed to be filed in some church uh, filing cabinet. Saying, yeah, we got this letter from our missionary. We'll file it in the cabinet. It's a letter to you and you and you and you and you and you and me. That's what those letters went out to. And the responsibility that was placed in those letters rests upon us, not the church. Now, when you put the responsibility on the church, it gets the hook off of all of us, doesn't it? Have you ever heard someone say, what does your church believe about so-and-so? You ever heard someone say, what are the doctrines of your church? You ever heard when someone say, what does your church do for outreach? Is your church a friendly church? Does your church preach the gospel? Does your church do evangelism? People ask those kind of questions all the time, looking for a church home. You know, what does your church do? What does your church do? What does your church do? Now, when you change your thinking from the church to the assembly of Christians... The question becomes automatically directed in a different direction. When you change it, it shifts the responsibility to the people instead of an institution. Suddenly the question comes, hey, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? Well, I don't know. Is it on the back of our bulletin? What do you believe? Responsibility comes on you to know what you believe. When you change this direction, what are your doctrines? It's not the church's doctrines, it's your doctrine. What do you believe? What does your church do for outreach? Whoops, wait a minute. What do you do for outreach? It changes that responsibility when it's an assembly instead of the church. I, I, I was Googling around every once in a while. I just see what's going on in America. You know, and you, you Google around and you say, what's the Southern Baptist Convention doing? Southern Baptist Convention ain't doing nothing. And I don't mean that in that way. I'm just saying that they can't do anything. It's the people within the Southern Baptist Convention that's going to do something if it gets done. Now, from that standpoint, they still ain't doing much. But it's the people. It's the people. Instead of saying, you know, is your church a friendly church? The question is, are you friendly? Are you friendly? Are you friendly? That's the question. Does your church preach the gospel? That's not the question. Do you preach the gospel? Do you tell others about Jesus? Do you spread the word? That's where the question is. Does your church do evangelism? What they're saying is, do you have a visitation program? That's not the question. The question is, do you do evangelism? Do you? Do you? That's the question when you transfer it from the institution to you as an assembled Christian within that group. Are, are you with me now? Yes, sir. Thank you. How many, don't raise your hand. How many of you are with me but wish you weren't? Okay. I know we're there. Now, by the way, it also shifts the responsibility 
from the pastor to the people or from the elders to the people or from the deacons to the people or anybody else that's got an office. It shifts that responsibility back to the assembly. That's where Paul placed it, back to the assembly, the called-out group of people. Now, I'm going to make a few statements, and I'm all through. I don't know what time it is. It's about time. I'm going to make a few statements, and I'm all done. 82 of them, but, I'm, but I'll be done. Uh, just a few statements. Number one, and, and I want you to get these now. Number one, it was not the corporate church that received the Great Commission. It was the assembly of believers after the resurrection that received the Great Commission. Now, I'd never said, Cornerstone Baptist Church in Jefferson, your commission is to reach the world for Christ. I never said that. God came to the group of Christians that were there after the resurrection, those that had stayed followers of the Lord during that time. And he said, let me tell you something. Last week, was last week Easter? Week before last? Whenever Easter was, I taught, I taught some people on, on the resurrection. And all four counts of the resurrection, the one common denominator in that, was the Great Commission was given. And it was to people who were there after the resurrection. What a church. I think Jesus formed the beginning of the church in the upper room. But it wasn't assembled. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the first Baptist church of Jerusalem or something that was there. It was just people, just Christians. And he said, come here, I want to tell you something. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's, that's what he did. And just as sure as he said it to them that day, he's saying it to you this day because you're part of that same assembly. Well, I just leave those things up to the church. What do you think the church is? Number two, churches do not receive the Holy Spirit to empower them to serve the Lord. Not many days hence, you shall receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he said. Why? So you can go out and reach the world for Christ. You can give that to the church. No church has got the Holy Spirit. If they did, when we left here, he'd be here all by himself all week. They don't live here. He lives here. He lives inside of you. God gave you the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you could carry out the Great Commission. That's why. Sometimes I'll tell you, forgive me for being critical, Lord. Uh, I, I don't mean to be critical. But some of, these, some of these little churches around here I've been in, they really think that, that, that God gave the Holy Spirit to George Baptist Convention headquarters and it rests there and they just dole out a little bit of what we're supposed to do to accomplish their goal. It's, it's an individual thing. It's you and you and you and you and you and me. It's all of us. God said it's our job. We're supposed to be getting that job done. It doesn't make any difference whether the church we're a member of or not does it or not. What difference does that make? you still got the command to do it. 
Number three, churches cannot invite people to church. <laughs> I've been in outreach committee meetings before. Yeah, they'll, they'll ask me, you know, you're director of missions, will you come and sit in our outreach committee meetings and, and, and uh, give us some advice on, on how to reach our community? They only asked me that one time. I never have to go back to churches. It's kind of funny that way. But they'll, they'll, they'll sit on these meetings. They say, well, and, I, and I'll just listen. I'll say, well, let me listen and see what you guys are doing. One will say, well, I, I think if we had better advertising, we could get our church growing. And some other stuffed shirt guy, he raises his hand and says, well, I, I think we had some, we just need some more special events. And somebody else comes up with this thing we need to do and that thing we need to do. And, you know, it gets all the way down. If we painted the restrooms, probably more people would come. I mean, it gets the whole thing. Now, any of those things wrong? No, all those things are fine. Have some special events. Have all those things you want to have. But that's not, where the, that's, that, that's, that's not what gets people to church. A clean, painted restroom never went out and asked somebody to come to church. And putting up a flyer or a banner someplace never asked somebody. It, people come to church because they're invited by somebody that's part of the church. 80% of the people that ever walk into church come in because of a personal invitation from somebody in the church. Now, that's where the responsibility is. One group said, well, you know, we need to do something about that old-fashioned steeple we've got up there. You know, if we could get a, a, a nicer steeple, I think more people would probably come. They were serious about that. What's a steeple? Here's the Spirit of God. <laughs> when, when, when the church we started in Wisconsin, you should have been there. We were running over a 1,000 we didn't even have a, not much less a steeple. We didn't even have a church building. We were meeting in a public school. When we finally did buy a little building, we bought a warehouse, a three-story warehouse, and converted it into a church. We didn't have one, 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 one church committee or outreach committee said, well, we just had better parking facilities. We're just too cramped on parking. We had 2,100 people that Sunday and not one parking space. I know you don't believe that. Daryl, you probably don't believe that. I don't blame you. Is that right, honey? We were, our, this warehouse we bought was right on the sidewalk. I mean, people walked down the sidewalk and would rub our building all the way down. Had a house six feet on the left side of us, a house six feet on the right side of us, and an alley right behind us that picked up trash. Not one space. Nothing with a thing that says for pastor, even, or staff member of the month, or none of that. We didn't have any of that. Not a parking space. Where do people park? God only knows. I, I said, don't tell me where you have to park. They were walking three and four blocks up, all was street parking. Just old fashioned, we don't have that street parking anymore, but old fashioned street parking, just up and down the streets. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Don't give me this stuff. You've got to paint this and you've got to have that. Now, those things are all good and you ought to do it. But what I'm saying is, brother, unless you get a group of people whose hearts are on fire for God and surrendered to God and are willing to go out and take the responsibility that if this church is going to do anything, we're going to do it. 
That's the way it's got to be done. Thank you very much. If you six people like to start a church sometime, just, you know. All right. Statement number four. Churches are not friendly. People are friendly. Is your church a friendly church? I don't know. Why don't you go ask the door and see? Ask that chandelier and see. Ask that speaker and see. That's the church. You're talking about church building. It's the people that are friendly. My wife and I visited a while back a church in the area. And we, we walked in, walked up to the door, and there was somebody there to greet us, opened the door for us and said, glad to have you this morning, just like you guys do here. And, and, and felt, we felt that was kind of neat. So then we got down to the next door, and there was somebody there and greeted us again, gave us a church bulletin, and said, can we help you find places to, uh, to seat? And I said, oh, we'll find a place. So we, we went around and sat down someplace. We hadn't been sitting there two minutes, and a lady walked up to us. And she said, are you folks visiting here the first time? There was about, at that point, it was probably about 300 people in the auditorium. She said, are you folks visiting here this morning? I said, yes, we are. She said, well, we're so glad to have you. Where do you live? And just talked to us a little bit and said, we're so happy you're here. And uh, stay right here for a minute. I want you to meet our pastor. And she took off. About three or four minutes later, she walks back and she's got the pastor. Mike Day was the pastor. And, and she said, this is our pastor, Brother Day. I want you to meet him. And we talked to him, and he stayed there about, I don't know, five, six minutes, I guess, talked to us, asked us a lot of things. And, and, uh, and, and, and <laughs> here's the sad part. When we got home, I didn't remember what the pastor said. I couldn't remember what he preached on. I couldn't remember what kind of music they had. But I was so impressed with how the people welcomed us to that church. I said, man, that is so cool. I mean, we just felt so. Now, is that something that those speaker thing, those vents up there can do? They can't do that. The church can't do that. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. A church this size, folks, and I'm, I'm going to meddle a little bit here, but a, a church this size, there's no reason that every single one of you don't know every single person in this room and speak to them this morning. And if you find a visitor, no visitor ought to be sitting by themselves on Sunday morning. Somebody ought to be sitting with them. In a church this size, you have no problem. You say, well, I don't know who's the visitor and who's not. Ask them. Ask them. Man, get busy. We're not here to socialize. You can socialize off meetings, but on Sunday, brother, that's the day you work. That's the day you get busy for God. That's the day, that's the day you take this, 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 this Holy Spirit that God put in you to reach other people for Christ and get out and talk to people, meet people, and, 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 and fellowship. And, and uh, you know, well, anyway, that's enough. Pastor can take it from there on that. Now, number five, and I'm done. Number five, and I'm done. Churches do not stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians do. Cornerstone Baptist Church will never have to stand in front of Christ and answer for why you did or did not accomplish what he wanted you to accomplish. Never have to. But I got news. Everybody in this room will. Everybody in this room will. There's going to come a day. Jesus comes back. The rapture takes place and all that. The judgment seat of Christ takes place. Every person that names the name of Christ will 
bow their knee before Jesus and face the judgment of what we've done for him. And you won't get judged because you're a sinner. You won't get judged whether you're going to heaven or hell. You're already in heaven, but you're going you're to have a judgment as to what you accomplished for him. You say, well, I just depended on the church to do that. Well, who do you think the church is? It's us. It's us. Jesus will not ask you why your church didn't reach your area. But he just might ask you why you didn't reach your neighbor. Now, I can't close without telling you there's a, there's a real strong upside to this, too. There's a real joy to having been used of God. There's a tremendous joy of having touched somebody's life. Look, how would you feel this morning if there were six people sitting in this auditorium that came to this church and got saved because you invited them? Can you imagine what that would be like? Every Sunday walking in and say, yeah, I, they wouldn't have been here for one for me. They wouldn't have been here. They wouldn't have been here. These people. Can you imagine the joy that would be there? I got a... I hadn't time, had time to share this with my wife yet. Got an email from someone last night and just opened it this morning. From a young lady. A young lady. She was 15 years old when we were in our church plant in Wisconsin. I just ran this off real quick. She was 15 years old, a bit on the wild side. Family was a tad dysfunctional. Today it would be more like normal, but back then it was considered dysfunctional. And just no direction in her life. Our bus ministry came by her house one day, knocked on her door, and asked her to come to Sunday school on the church bus, and she did. And bus workers, they went out on Saturday and, and round people up for Sunday. She came to church and got saved. And we counseled with her, and I think my wife did some, and, and she just had, you know, off and on growth, but, but she hung in there. She's 50 years old now. And she wrote this note, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but just the first little paragraph said, Hi, preacher, I've so often thought of you and wondered what was happening in your life. She found us, I'm not a real big fan of social networking, but I do have a Facebook thing, and she found us on there. She said, I wonder what was happening in your life. Words can never express how thankful I've been for the impact you had on my life. Your coming to Milwaukee literally saved my life. Thank you for coming. And she goes on, talks about you know, going to college and graduating, becoming a school teacher, and then she got married, married a pastor. Now they've been pastoring churches for all these years. And at the very end, she says, thank you again for what your ministry has meant to my life. Only eternity will reveal your impact on so many I'm so very thankful for you and Mrs. Maston. And you, you start getting these. I opened a little Facebook thing, and we've gotten a number of these since then. From back, I mean, this is 35 years ago. 35 years ago. And you get to thinking, what if we hadn't had that compassion to win that young lady to Christ 35 years ago? What if some bus worker hadn't got out and knocked on that door? What if some soul winner hadn't? What if some... We had a youth department at that time with 60, about 60 teenagers in it, meeting in a school, about 60 teenagers in it, and a, and a volunteer youth director. No paid staff, including the pastor. No paid staff. These 60 teenagers that he was responsible for. 
and they ministered to these kids. We had them saved every... Sundays wouldn't go by there wasn't teenagers saved. I mean, it just happened every week. Why? Oh, well, if you've got enough money, you can hire that kind of staff. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any staff. But we had some people who gave their heart to God and said, look, I'll take that responsibility. The teens in this area, they're mine. I'll get them. Went out and got them. That's what it's all about, folks. And you do this, when you get to be 105 like me, you'll be getting some notes back saying, thank you for your ministry in my life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. In just a moment, we're going to have a closing song, music or something. And while we do, as always, your altar is up here. Maybe you'd feel appropriate this morning to come and kneel here at this altar and say, God, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm going to, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to take responsibility to reach somebody for Christ. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, you know, you know what would happen? If every person won one and trained one each year, now think about that. If every person won one and trained one each year, that's all. Got 12 months to do it. You got 100 people in this church, and everybody did that this year. Next year, this time, you'd have 200. If everybody did that again next year, a year from then, two years from now, you'd have 400. If everybody did that again, three years from now, you'd have 800. You've got a whole year to reach one person. One person in a whole year. 365 days to get one person. In three years, this church could be 800. Boy, that's not much, is it? Makes you realize how little we do, doesn't it? Father, I pray this morning. Dear God, just let the Holy Spirit minister to us now and do the things that no preacher can do. We can read some scripture. We can give some illustrations. We can talk a little bit about things. But the honest truth is every decision that's made has to come from above. And I pray this morning the Holy Spirit would settle on this room. I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would just quietly speak to each person here today. May he minister to us for a moment and say, look, this is, what I, this is what I want to do. I gave my son Jesus to die for the people that live next door to you. I gave my son Jesus to die for those people that live in your, in your subdivision, your neighborhood. Would you just go over and tell them I did that? God, I pray that you'll just place upon us this morning a different outlook and that of personal responsibility. I'm going to do it. It really doesn't matter whether anybody else in church does. I'm not going to be critical of somebody that doesn't. I'm not going to be critical of anything else. It's just between me and God. But I'm going to take responsibility. God, can we do that this morning? Would you speak to some hearts today while the music plays? Maybe we can use this altar this morning. Say, count me in. Lord, use me. I'll take responsibility for this church.